hello and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As you can hear, it's not the jolly voice that we usually do on this podcast because it's not a quite, quite jolly time in Europe. Um, there is the Russian aggression of uh, Ukraine, the war in Europe, things that we didn't really quite imagine would happen uh, once again. Usually the way this podcast works is that I have uh, different policy topics that we get into and then we have a guest for about 10 to 15 minutes. I think the occasion um, uh, requires us to do something different and that's what I'm doing. I am uh, joined today by Igor Masyakin. Uh, he is uh, from Ukraine. He uh, is at uh, Cheveningen Scholar uh, living in London. He studies international tax law at QMUL. He uh, works for the uh, Ministry of Finance, and he was previously at the State Tax Service. We wanted to ask him a bit about his personal situations, but also his view on uh, sort of where we are at in this conflict and sort of what the European response has been and should be. So uh, first of all, Igor, uh, how's it going? How are you doing? Hello. Uh, so I'm quite uh, worrying about the situation. Uh, um, I, uh, luckily, my family is now safe. Uh, they are in the Western Ukraine. You know, this is uh, not the first time we had to flee because of the war. Uh, I was born in the city of Donetsk, which is in the east of Ukraine, uh, which was occupied by Russia in 2014. Uh, and uh, in 2014, my family had to flee uh, to Kiev. So in this time, uh, again, uh, we had to pack all our... Uh, all our uh, stuff and uh, get a luggage and move to Western Ukraine. Uh, but uh, uh, now I'm quite, um, quite uh, not worrying about them. Uh, they're in a the safe place, uh, as well as uh, lots of my f friends. But unfortunately, some of my friends are now in Kiev and in Kharkiv, which uh, uh, are the cities under the art artillery strikes of uh, Russian forces, uh, and I'm really uh, concerned and worried about uh, how they're doing, and I'm contacting them every day, uh, so um, hopefully they're safe, but uh, uh, every day is uh, really a, a great uh, challenge and a great uh, day of worriness. I can absolutely imagine, and I and I hope that your family uh, will be will be well. Uh, a lot of people uh, have also uh, left uh, Ukraine altogether to the neighboring countries. As people going to Moldova, Romania, um, also Slovakia, Hungary, and Poland are, are places. I have friends of mine as well that that, that left you Ukraine uh, that way. Um, we will also, by the way. For those of you listening, uh, there will be uh, links in the description of this podcast with different charities that you can support uh, to either help the humanitarian or military uh, aid to Ukraine in this fight against Russia. Um, so, Igor, um, how give us sort of a chronology how this happened for you when you uh, when you first got the the, the news? How, you just got a notification on your phone. How was the communication with your with your family and friends? How has that kind of played out for you personally? Well, um, that's kind of an interesting situation for me, I, I think quite unique, because uh, as the political analyst, uh, analyst I 
uh, traced the situation alongside the Ukrainian borders uh, uh, since the August of 2021. And we, in our report uh, of our think tank, Solid Info, we highlighted uh, the activity of the uh, Russian troops, the concentration and uh, the activity of uh, Russian prox pro-Russian proxies uh, in the Donetsk and Lugansk regions, so-called Donetsk and Lugansk People Republics. Uh, and uh, we already, uh, back in uh, September and October, highlighted the high risks of the uh, conflict. And uh, in December, we started to qualify it as an imminent. Uh, so in January, we went, uh, we issued our scenario how this war could happen. Uh, so we were right about the artillery strikes. Uh, we were right about the artillery strikes and uh, the missile strikes, uh, which uh, Russia uh, started initially uh, at the start of the conflict. Uh, because uh, we analyzed not the experience of the 2014 campaign, we analyzed how Russian uh, militaries um, behaved in uh, Syria. Yeah, because uh, you know that situation in Syria drastically changed uh, when Russia uh, involved uh, in in favor to Assad, and uh, uh, the situation has changed because of the uh, air forces and their uh, missile and artillery strikes. So, uh, and uh, we, but we could we, even we couldn't imagine that. Uh, uh, Kiev, Kharkiv, Lviv, Vinnytsia, uh, all uh, which are situated not only in the north uh, and center uh, of Ukraine, but also in the west of Ukraine, will be um, bombed by the missiles. So uh, this um, uh, our scenario uh, covered the limited operation in uh, starting in uh, Donbas region uh, with joining the. Russian troops uh, from the North Crimea uh, and maybe the landing operation uh, in Odessa and Nikolaev in the south of Ukraine. Uh, so in reality we have the following situation that Russian troops uh, are moving to, uh, to, from all the fronts, from the Belarus borders, from the uh, uh, East uh, northeast uh, boundaries and from the proxies uh, in Donbass uh, and uh, from Crimea, um, and uh, as we understand the estimations of the um, of the Western country countries uh, didn't uh, cover didn't didn't cover uh, didn't expect that uh, Ukrainian forces will uh, will resist so fearful and so effective. Uh, so uh, even we can we can uh, remember that uh, the first two days there were um, offers to President Zelensky to um, evacuate from Kiev, but uh, we now we can see that he uh, he's still in Kiev, he's still with people, he's still with his militaries, and uh, it's um, a really a good example how. Uh, a person, uh, a role of person in history can affect the whole conflict, uh, the whole uh, um, chain of events, because um, by doing this he really inspired all the people, all the militaries, and uh, now the 
sociologists uh, can analyze that his uh, uh, approval uh, rating is uh, 91%. Uh, so that's the highest and uh, uh, all the Ukrainians uh, are being um, so highly motivated to beat the Russian uh, aggressors, Russian occupants. So even usual people uh, oppose uh, Russian militaries. There are some stories uh, which are uh, really fascinating. For example, uh, when the Russian troops went through the village, uh, they uh, tried to enter the uh, some old woman house to get food from her because they were hungry. Uh, you know, actually, the Russian militaries they have poor provisions of the food, uh, and we will talk about that later. How they operation weren't planned in details so they took that food from that woman women and uh, uh, she uh, offered them tea or uh, some drinks and she put uh, some medicine there so they went to the uh, wc and she set them on fire i mean this example uh, it's not a joke because firstly when i heard that i thought that's kind of a joke but this example is um, uh, highlights how Ukrainian um, people, just ordinary people, uh, oppose, resist. Uh, there are, maybe you heard about the biggest nuclear power plant in uh, Energodar, it's Zaporizhia, uh, it's near the east of Ukraine, uh, on the Dnipro river banks. So Russians want to occupy this city to get control over the nuclear power plant, uh, actually to blackmail Europe uh, about the new Chernobyl uh, catastrophe that it can be done. Uh, that's why uh, we can't let them do this, uh, seize this, this city. So ordinary people of Energodar city, they um, started to block the roads uh, block Russian tanks, Russian militaries, not to uh, let them enter the city. Uh, these are really fascinating examples how uh, all the people uh, unified in uh, resistance to Russians. And um, uh, last but not least, uh, before the war, before the full-scale war started, because the war started back in 2014, so before the full-scale war started, uh, we had kind of uh, uh, 20 or 25 percent of pro-Russian population, uh, usually in the east of Ukraine, it's Kharkiv, it's uh, um, Donetsk region, and uh, in south, in Odessa, Nikolaev, and now, uh, now there are no pro-Russian population anymore, because Russia bombs uh, our pro-Russian people, our uh, Russian-speaking uh, Ukrainians. Uh, so um, I don't know how Putin, uh, he, um, he always uh, uses his rhetorics about the uh, Russian world, Russian uh, Russian uh, based world. Uh, so he now demotivated people who were who were uh, maybe kind of a, had some uh, sentiments about Russia because of their age because they remember the Soviet Union time but now all the people in Ukraine of uh, any age uh, they are they clearly understood what does really Russian world means. Uh, and uh, this is a really uh, um, uh, do you you uh, certainly remember 
when Winston Churchill once uh, after the World War II said that the fascists of the future will call them anti will call themselves anti-fascist. So uh, Russia uh, uses this rhetoric that Ukraine uh, is a Nazi country and uh, uh, Russia should uh, invade to um, purge Nazis uh, from the uh from ukrainian government uh, first of all our president is uh, uh, by his nationality he is a jew uh and uh his grandfather uh, took part in the second world war against germany uh, lots of our people our um, grandfathers uh, our great grandfathers took part in the second world war we respect their uh, their memory and uh what you mentioned, what you mentioned there, is very interesting because part of this this idea that uh, that that Ukraine has this this far right influences has been part of the the Russian propaganda all throughout. It seems now um, that with the war, Ukraine is certainly winning one war, and that is the information uh, uh, distribution. Did Ukraine has been excellent? Well, ministers and 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 and, and pundits have been excellent at getting information out there and countering that. Do you th do you see this? As as um, uh, Europe having the opportunity of waking up to what has been Russian propaganda for for many years is this is this the moment where unfortunately it took a war for many people to realize um, which side they should have been standing on? Yeah, you know, better later than never, actually. Uh, but uh, during this uh, these years. Uh, Russia uh, received lots of uh, lots of dollars, like uh, from the uh, from the experts of its oil and gas, and used this uh, this uh, cash to corrupt uh, officials in the West, to corrupt some uh, experts, to corrupt, to create, establish its own media empire, to brainwash uh, people, uh, ordinary people throughout the globe. Uh, you know this uh, Russia today as uh, Putnik and other uh, propaganda means. Uh, so lots of uh, lots of uh, prominent Western officials uh, are connect closely connected with uh, Russian uh, government or government uh, companies. You know the example of the former Prime Minister of France François Fillon. You know the example of former. Chancellor of Germany Gerhard Schröder. Uh, these are just uh, prominent examples, but there are lots of people who are uh, in the middle uh, of this pyramid. Lots of them. So I think that uh, now uh, West should not only uh, give assistance to Ukraine, uh, either military or financial, but also uh, there are there is some homework for European officials and even US officials to do to um, make certain uh, outcomes from this situation to analyze to assess uh, who are uh, colleagues of uh, who are our colleagues in Europe Parliament in uh, certain uh, bodies of different countries um, who are those people in Republican Party uh, who in US who uh lobbied the interests of Russian Federation uh, so um, there are lots of work to do uh, and uh, yeah uh, I, I wanted to tell you about 
why the operation didn't go for Russia uh, uh, as well as uh, they expected to, to do so. Uh, on 27th of February, uh, the article was published on the Russian uh, news agency RIA Novosti, uh, which, uh, which was deleted afterwards, but uh, in a web archive you can find this article. So uh, this article stated that uh, Russia already has captured Kiev. You know, somebody. I think somebody has for, has forgotten to de to delete it from the uh, chain of publications. So uh, it it was published. So according to this article, Russia uh, wanted to capture Kiev uh, by twenty seven of February and uh, announced that uh, there are the geopolitical the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of 20th century according to putin the collapse of soviet union uh, was finally fixed and uh, ukraine returned back to the uh, family of the belarus russia and uh, ukraine uh, countries and so on and so forth lots of uh, rhetorics used in this article was similar to nazi rhetoric because for example there was a phrase uh, president putin finally resolved the Ukrainian issue. Do you remember some some kind of rhetoric used by Hitler uh, when he told that the about the Jewish question, Jewish issue? Exactly, yeah. I I, I wanted to, I wanted to touch on that topic because Time magazine I think a few weeks ago they ran a piece what the West doesn't understand about Putin's obsession with uh, with Ukraine, and they mentioned this essay that uh, Putin wrote in the past, in which uh, he laid out sort of his beliefs um, on 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 Ukraine. This claim by Russia that Ukraine is, um, in their view, just a uh, you know a, a non-state, a non-entity. Can you uh, can you explain where that comes from? And um, maybe for those listeners that are completely new to this argument, just explain how it's wrong. Okay, uh, so since uh, the times of the Russian Empire, uh, Russian uh, imperialists, uh, ideologists, they always stated that uh, there are only uh, um, so-called uh, great, greater Russians, uh, little Russians, uh, or uh, how they told, uh, how they called Ukrainians and Belarusians. But uh, they they stated, they always stated that. Uh, these three people, people are uh, uh, all Russians. So, uh, and uh, when Ukrainian revival started in 19th century, uh, the Ukrainian culture developed. Ukrainians uh, started to feel themselves uh, as a separate nation. You know, this is a part of the you know, some nation creation processes which were natural for 19th century uh, back in the times of the world war of the great war uh, after after uh, the great war you uh, first ukrainian independent state emerged so but Russian propagandists always uh, always stated that uh, Ukrainians are the invention of the uh, Austrian uh, military to you know to disconnect Ukrainians from Russians, etc., uh, etc. Et this is a chauvinistic rhetoric because uh, Russians can't uh, R Russian elites they can't even understand the. Uh, features uh, the situation inside Ukraine. Uh, we uh, have the separate language, separate culture. We uh, feel our, ourselves 
independent we want to decide uh, uh, on our destiny and we see our destiny uh, is as to, to join the family of the european nations uh, and euro atlantic uh, prospects Right. I, I, what you mentioned there hits very close to home. You know, I'm originally from, from Luxembourg, a small country in Europe, and uh, uh, the Nazis made similar claim about Luxembourg. To them, it was that Luxembourgish people did not exist. They were an invention of the United Kingdom and that, uh, that, that we were essentially Germans and should be incorporated into the Third Reich as a result of that. So, so that, that, that storyline sounds very similar to me. I wanted to get your take, uh, though, on the European response, some of the sanctions that have been decided now. Um, if I read Reuters in, in the last few days, they've kind of outlined what this means financially uh, for Russia. Um, what is your view? Uh, is this are these economic sanctions enough? Um, have, do they even have the possibility of swaying Russia politically? Could it be that you know maybe there's going to be more opposition opposition within Russia towards this war? Uh, what's your analysis of, of the sanctions that have been decided by the European Union, the the UK, and and the United States? Uh, I can see now that uh, there are there were two packages of sanctions and. Uh, uh, the second package was not expected in Russian in Russia. Uh, Russian officials, and you can see this clearly uh, if you see the videos uh, of the uh, summits of the uh, governmental uh, officials with Putin, they didn't expect uh, such kind of uh, sanctions. Uh, you can see now the. Um, the forex rate of uh, Russian ruble uh, officially it's uh, 107 ruble for dollar, but uh, uh, there are certain uh, you know gray uh, gray gray markets uh, give like 150 or even 180. Uh, there are lots of chains uh, to the cash machines uh, with thousands of Russians trying to withdraw cash. Uh, you can see lots of Western companies uh, uh, stopping this uh, its business in Russia. Uh, so you can see the, uh, that, for example, the biggest state banks, Sberbank, uh, um, capitalization is now uh, equals almost to zero. Uh, so uh, these are more than uh, Russia was expected, but these are not enough, in my opinion, because uh, still Russia can uh, sell its oil and gas and uh, i see that europe uh, europe uh, is scared of the energy crisis because of uh, because if it stops the to purchase the oil and gas but you know what i think that uh, sometimes it's better to to bear some costs maybe to bear uh, the costs in a certain significant level uh, that, uh, so, but you will defend your values. Uh, you will uh, you will highlight that uh, the rule-based world order prevails uh, over the barbaric uh, attacks on the sovereign state, uh, and this will be much quicker to defeat Russia if you uh, to if if you. Uh, if you if you stop uh, purchase of the oil and gas because uh, there are you can see the panic right now in Russian elites the point is that you need you need to increase its pan uh, the panic uh, uh, so the work should be done on the 
dividing of Russian elites. So the second group of uh, these elites will understand that uh, uh, they want to return their uh, rich life back, uh, that they traveled to Saint-Tropez, uh, they bought some jewelry in London or some clothes in Milan, uh, and they clearly want their life back. They don't want to lose it uh, in uh, favor of some, uh, some empire illusions. Uh, these are only problems of one man, Vladimir Putin, uh, who really uh, seized all these uh, oligarchs and all these officials. He uh, controls them. They are very afraid of him. So uh, the aim of sanctions is to make this uh, this fright, uh, to make them afraid of their future, financial future, more than their fear over the Vladimir Putin. So they will uh, do something with him. Um, I, I, I saw now that the, the European Parliament approved the uh, official candidacy accession uh, possibility for Ukraine uh, to the European Union. Um, I, I think um, from a realistic standpoint of the, the way the treaties of the European Union work, I think it's unlikely that Ukraine uh, will join the European Union anytime soon, even with a fast-track procedure. Um, but, but, but it does definitely show um, the willingness to um, incorporate Ukraine into the European family. Um, what do you see... And of course, we're just hypothesizing here while a war is still raging. But I think I, it does it does ask the question: what, um, what, what, what the future of Ukraine will be were it to be victorious in this war? Um, do you think that there will actually be a closer cooperation as a result of this, or do you think that? Now European allies are even more scared because they don't want to be drawn into a war. What, what do you see? Do you, do you think the sympathy will have a political, will be a political game changer in the region? Uh, well, I can clearly see the support. Uh, if I'm right, 98% of the European Parliament voted uh, for Ukraine. And uh, uh, well, even, even though the European integration will not be very quick for us, uh now we uh our uh, our fighting proved that ukraine is uh, more europe sometimes than europe uh, old europe itself because uh, we see ukraine now as uh, europe in in its young age uh, uh, it's a young energy that uh, that is uh, quite fearful and maybe maybe uh, in a certain way we can motivate and uh, motivate uh, Europe all the all the Europe all the European people because you know um, recent years lots of Euroskeptics started to argument that uh, Europe transformed into some bureaucratic organism and so on and so forth but uh, by fighting for Europe for uh, our common values uh, we can uh, inspire and bring new life into this uh, into into European continent and uh, uh, I see uh, our future is bright one because uh, we um, it depends on how war will end and uh, uh, I can see no way how Russia can 
can achieve success, military success. Uh, so they already used 80% of their uh, of their um, personnel uh, in Ukraine. So they are um, nearing to its uh, military defeat, and uh, therefore, uh, I, I think that we will have a political uh, influence uh, because of the future victory. I hope there will be victory. So we will have a political influence uh, because of it. Um, quite uh, in uh, equal, which will equal to certain uh, prominent European countries. Uh, and um, in terms of economy, uh, I think that uh, now we transformed... Ukraine was uh, always... Uh, an object, uh, frankly speaking, an object of international politics. But uh, this is uh, our first time in history we started uh, acting as an actor of international politics. And uh, now we can set and we can understand our own aims, uh, our own uh, trajectory and way, uh, how to pursue the economy, how to develop the economy, how to uh, do our uh, internal policy. So uh, I think that, uh, and already I heard that uh, European Commission uh, are, is ready to offer us 100 billion uh, euro to rebuild our economy and there are, there are certainly a lot of uh, job to do because uh, lots of uh, infrastructure is uh, being demolished uh, and lots of people were being uh, trans transferred, displaced and uh, uh, but I think that uh, there are there will be more opportunities because uh, when there's something old is being demolished, uh, there are a lot of chances that this new energy will uh, will will give birth to something more fascinating. Uh, just like uh, you know, uh, Europe did with Marshall Plan and uh, other instruments after the World War Two. Igor, we're getting towards the end of the of the half hour on this podcast, but I wanted to um, just just ask one more question, sort of about your expectations going forward. Uh, it seems that we are moving in the war from a sort of a lightning war to something uh, slower, um, a new strategic approach, which means that this war could last much longer, definitely than Russia has expected. Um, in the in in the weeks to follow, I think the the question is going to be what more is expected of Europe to do. Um, so if you um, you know if if, if w w what is your what is your view? What else should Europe do? Do you, do you think there needs to be a a military intervention directly on Russia from from a European side? Um, uh, w other sanctions that are necessary? What, what what do you what do you think is the right way forward here? Well, I would like to uh, insist on the further military support, in, in particular uh, lots of uh, ex-Warsaw Pact countries, uh, you know, Poland, uh, Baltic State, uh, Poland, uh, Czech Republic, Bulgaria, etc. Uh, they have some uh, military artillery complex like uh, C-300 and Buk M1. Uh, so uh, Ukraine now needs the replen replenishment of those 
systems uh, and uh, maybe the provision of new systems. This will be very helpful. Maybe some aircrafts, uh, yesterday we received 70 aircrafts, uh, also modernized Soviet uh, aircrafts, so uh, maybe we need more, something more. Uh, for, uh, for sure we need more uh, systems like Javelins, like Enlow, the British and Swedish system, uh, maybe some German Panzerfaust more, uh, and uh, Stingers, which are very helpful to resist Russian aggression. In terms of sanctions, I would uh, insist on the uh, restrictions, very harsh restrictions on the uh, purchase of oil and gas. For Europe, this is a good opportunity to, uh, to um, rearrange its uh, energy market uh, to start uh, to increase purchases from the US, from the uh, mi Middle East countries, from Norway, etc., uh, to, uh, to get uh, Russia out of the energy market. Absolutely. I think we will be talking about that a lot in the next few weeks uh, about uh, liquefied natural gas uh, imports from Azerbaijan. We'll be having a lot of conversations about this also on this podcast. Um, where can people uh, follow your work? Uh, Twitter, websites, uh, where can people find more of you? Uh, well, uh, you can follow our group on Facebook. It's Solid Info. You can find us easily. Uh, and uh, there is a website, uh, Solid Info, www.solidinfo.com. Thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast today, extended version uh, for half an hour. Thank you so much, Igor, for joining us. Um, my name is Bill Wirtz. I've been uh, your host for today. Uh, you can listen to us again uh, next week on Thursday and follow, of course, the Consumer Choice Center as well on Twitter at Consumer Choice C. So, uh, yeah, again, Igor, thank you so much. You have to learn. Yeah.